It's Tuesday, October 30th. Welcome to Market Forward. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, Taylor Muckerman in the house. Good to see you. We must protect this house. We, we will protect <laughs> Good this to house see you too. from other business news <laughs> podcasts, I suppose. Uh, earnings Palooza is starting to heat up, and we're going to get to GE and we're going to get to the big oil stocks. We've got to start with the stock of the day, and that is, I am very happy to say, <laughs> For the first time in a long time, Under Armour, third quarter profits for Under Armour came in higher than expected. International sales really look like they crushed it, and the stock up 23% this morning. Yeah, this is, appears to be the quarter that the market's been waiting and waiting and waiting for out of Under Armour. Sales, as you mentioned, in the US, lackluster, down 2%, but international, up 15%. So that's carrying the day here. When you look at this, Definitely coming out of kind of a restructuring turnaround. They fired several hundred people lately, and the potential to maybe have another round of that moving forward. But it seems to be they're on track. And one thing that jumped out to me, kind of ironic, was that they they mentioned sales at Dick's or sales to Dick's were were up four percent. And just in August, Dick's blamed their last lackluster performance on. Decreasing Under Armour sales in their stores, so kind of two different tales there. Um, Under Armour saying that it's going well inside of Dick's, Dick saying that their partnership with Kohl's kind of hurting business in the fully priced stores like Hibbit Sports and and, and Dick's with the discount uh, Kohl's partnership. So I, I like what I see here, and then I also kind of dig what they're trying with Armor Box, which they announced last week. So after the quarter, didn't impact the quarter, but uh, kind of the Stitch Fix model of uh, subscription box for athletic apparel, which um, I don't know if it's going to be a real needle mover, but it could enhance the brand. At least they're trying something that uh, that consumers these days appear to be pretty in tune with. A couple other things. I mean, if you look at how they're managing their inventory, they appear mm-hmm. to be doing a better job of yeah. that. Um, something that you and I have talked about, and Jason Moser has made this point, Matt Argusinger has made this point, going back to the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. that Kevin Plank, very much the leader of Under Armour, yep. but the executive team around him, uh, you and Matt and Jason pointing out, look, He's got to figure out a way to work with his management yeah. team and keep them in place because the turnover in the C-suite mm-hmm. has been higher than what you like to see. And I don't want to jinx anything, yeah. but they are—they're still there. They are still there, and so hopefully we can continue to see that. And and with successes like this, maybe they found that group that finally is going to be able to turn this company around and and challenge the likes of Nike like they always thought they could. But uh, even with the stock up 23% today, it still has to more than double from here to get back to its all-time highs, which was very early on in the days of this company as a public company. So, it's still a lot of work to do if you've been a long-term investor to get back to even. But uh, you, you like to see something like this at the very least. Yeah, it's around $22 a share mm-hmm. when we came into the studio. Yep. You go back two years, three years, it's Double that, yeah. basically. <laughs> so, so this is great yeah. for me and anyone else who is a shareholder of Under Armour. Uh, but uh, for the amount of time that I've held it, still very much underwater. Yeah. So, uh, agreed. I'm on this. I'm in the same boat. Uh, we're slowly starting to rise against the tide here, though. Right. Well, and uh, again, let's. This is great. Let's let's see this next quarter and the quarter yeah. after that because the because the international sales is great to see it's only going to carry it so far they can't keep treading water in the united states no they can't and and maybe you know these these self-branded stores 
really help out because uh, you have higher margins there. And I think that was about 32, 33% of sales this quarter. So uh, if that can gain a little bit more traction, I think that could help. And maybe if they can boost branded store sales internationally, because obviously, International, if they can expand, is much bigger than the United States. But uh, certainly, their home market is the biggest breadwinner for them at the moment. General Electric's third quarter profits and revenue came in lower than expected, and let's face it, the expectations were not that high to begin with. <laughs> and you tell me, what's the headline here? Is it that, or is it the <laughs> fact that the dividend has been cut from twelve cent a quarterly dividend yeah. cut from twelve cents a share to one penny per share? Yeah, that it's that stings a little bit. They say it's going to save them about three point nine billion dollars. Um, so I think, as a shareholder, I think that's a good thing because you know the dividend yield hasn't been enough to keep up with the share price decline. So uh, even though you were getting that that few percent at a, uh, over a, a year. You're still losing, like you're down 50% depending on when you depending on when you invested in this company, and so I think that to move forward, they're going to need that four billion. They have to uh, handle the insurance claims on their GE capital, which could be up to 15 billion dollars. Um, the power business, which is their largest, still um, down 33% in sales in the quarter and turned into an operating loss. So this business is definitely still struggling. They could use that four billion. Uh, I think that they could hopefully put it to better use. Um, they're going to have a full investor update early 2019, similar to what Flannery did. Uh, the new uh, CEO Culp, he's going to come out and kind of lay out his plan. As so far, it seems like they're still going to continue uh, selling off the transportation business, um, spinning off the healthcare, and paring down their two-thirds ownership of Baker Hughes. Maybe that changes early 2019 when when they announce uh, their plans moving forward under the new leadership. But uh, I, yeah, I don't, I don't. Think that the dividend cut is a negative thing. Uh, I think it had to happen. No, it's absolutely the right move. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those things that, and I'm sure they, Larry Culp, who's uh, been CEO for about an hour and mm-hmm. a half, <laughs> I'm sure he and his team are fully aware of the fact that there's a whole swath of investors, institutional and individual, who look to dividend paying stocks. Mm-hmm. And when those stocks stop paying dividends or significantly cut their dividends, yeah. they're going to jump ship. Uh, Larry Culp has already. Um, he's not waiting to 2019 to at least share some of his plans. One of the part of the announcement mm-hmm. was taking the power division yeah. and splitting it into two separate units. One is going to be gas products and mm-hmm. services. The other is going to be nuclear power conversion grid solutions. I don't know anything about that business, <laughs> but I have to imagine that if nothing else, this is going to provide greater insight. Into those divisions, yeah, to see how they're doing, and also hopefully some greater focus within the divisions for the for the employees themselves and management. Um, I do think that the, it makes sense to split them. I mean, natural gas turbines and steam and nuclear are, are two vastly different businesses, so um, no no real reason why they need to be combined, other than they're power generating. Um, but yeah, I think natural gas kind of struggling. Seems to be a lot of supply out there versus the demand for these these natural gas turbines. And they did have a little hiccup with Exelon and one of their nuclear um, turbines that kind of had some faulty equipment. So they had to go out there and, and shut that plant down. And so that's a bad look for them in a sector that's Quite dangerous with nuclear power when you're talking about a malfunctioning uh, unit there. So they get that turned around, but down 33% in your biggest division, that, that hurts, especially as long as they've been around. One other thing that caught my attention before we move on to the, the big oil stocks yeah. Larry Culp 
kind of drew a line in the sand talking about we're not raising money. Mm-hmm. We're not we're, we have no like we have no plans to do any sort of capital raise. Sure. I really hope they don't have to because <laughs> they don't appear to have a lot of other financial levers they can pull. They've already cut the dividend yeah, yeah. down to one penny. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they have a lot of other options. Yeah, we'll see if that 4 billion can carry them, but if you yeah, if they have to go hit the debt markets and and sell and issuing equity when your share price is down this far, not a good look either. So, um hate to see him have to rebuff on his word this early in the game. BP's third quarter profits were the highest in five years, although you wouldn't necessarily know it from what's happening with the stock. I mean, the yeah. stock is basically where it was a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's up ever so slightly today. When you, tell me what's going on with BP. Yeah, you would think you see oil prices creep back up towards $80 a barrel. You would think that some of these companies with the greatest exposure to oil and natural gas would, would be. Uh, keeping pace, but BP not so much. Even though I, I have said several times I'm industry focused, you know, over the last couple of years that of the majors, this is the one that I would likely you know jump aboard if I was going to invest in an oil major. And I think internally it's been justified, but the share price still languishing. But um, they, they continue to d- divest some businesses because they still owe money on the Macondo disaster. I think they're going to end up paying about three billion dollars this year. <laughs> We're talking five, six years later, um, and they're going to be selling off more U.S. onshore assets to to pay for that. Um, but then they're getting heavier into the shale game. They closed their BHP Billiton purchase for their shale assets, um, and they expect to be able to pay all cash for that um, if oil prices remain where they are. Internally, they look at they judge their projects by sixty to sixty-five dollars a barrel. So right now we're well above that, and and it seems sixty to sixty-five is you know. It's that that Goldilocks moment, kind of right in the middle of where you might expect it to be, um, and a lot of projects coming online. So I think that this is the it's they're in a good place right now. It, it's just still an oil company, which uh, investors haven't really jumped back on with. Is that well? Let me back up. Mm-hmm. You say that of sort of the the behemoths out yeah. there, this is the one you find the most interesting from an investor standpoint. Yeah. Why BP and not say an Exxon Mobil? Yeah, I think you know with BP, they've been able to kind of they've been forced to kind of streamline, and so they uh, whereas Exxon kind of just it is what it is. It hasn't really been forced to check itself. Um, they've they've made several big purchases over the years, and some of them have played out, some of them haven't. Uh, you know, you have to wait five to ten years to see if some of these actually do. But with BP, they. they Trimmed a lot of the fat to pay off um, some of these these burdens that they've had from the the Gulf oil disaster, and now I just like where they're at in terms of upstream assets and more oil focused. And uh, with the project coming on in line in the Gulf of Mexico and and Australia recently, they they have they don't have the capital expenditures that say some Exxon or Chevron have looking forward. So something happened last week when we were out in Denver for our member event, mm-hmm. and uh, when I saw this headline, I immediately thought, "I got to get in the studio with Taylor, or I got to <laughs> get Taylor in the studio to talk about this." And this is the Attorney General from the state of New York filing a lawsuit against Exxon Mobil, mm-hmm. uh, alleging that the company defrauded shareholders by downplaying the expected risks of climate change. Yeah. And when that news broke last week, Exxon stock, which had been trading up mm-hmm. during the day, immediately started to head south. Not in some dramatic way, sure. but, but it was a pretty noticeable change. And I'm curious what you think of this lawsuit, because in some ways, this is completely expected. This mm-hmm. is the, the Attorney General's office in the state of New York has been 
looking into this matter going back three years. Yeah, so, so filing a lawsuit was going to come at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're an ExxonMobil shareholder, how worried are you? You know, I, I think it's going to be a headache. At, I was just going to say, least. it doesn't go in the plus column. Yeah, no, it's definitely not something to brush aside. Uh, it's going to be a distraction at the very least for for management. So it all stems from in 2015. Uh, it came to light that they've kind of been saying things that differed from their internal studies on climate change, uh, saying externally that it's not really that big of a deal. Internally, they decided they discovered that, hey, this really you know could be a, a big thing moving forward, and, and we need to, as an oil and gas company, at least address it internally. And so, saying one thing and knowing another is what started the investigation. And that's still what's coming out with this new case, but it's slightly different, because here we're talking about potential security. Securities fraud, um, misleading investors, not just the general public, and so um, I think that that that's kind of scaring folks a little bit because I guess I'm the legal expert, but folks are saying under the Martin Act it kind of exposes ExxonMobil to maybe some bigger penalties or a broader array of penalties, and uh, basically they've used different carbon tax pricing uh, in the public sphere versus what they used internally to kind of justify moving forward with projects. But when you look at it, they used a much higher carbon tax price when they spoke to the public than they did internally. So um, they made it seem more damaging than it than they actually thought it would be. And a lot of folks are saying if they had just not even undergone this exercise, which you know could have been more to the detriment of investors, they would be totally fine just because there wouldn't be that discrepancy in what they've said and what they've internally used. So if they had been less cautious. They'd be fine, and investors could have been punished even more with un- unknowingly punished. And so, I think a headache at, at the very least, um, potentially, um, you know, a few million dollars in fines, hundred million dollars in fines. But it's gonna, it's not gonna come out right away. It's gonna be complicated math here, and definitely taking it to the courts. And always. <laughs> makes me smile whenever we just sort of talk about these behemoth companies and say, "Now nah, they'll probably pay a hundred million dollars in fines," and it's like, and then yeah. that's it, yeah. and then they can. They kind of tried to do the right thing; they just weren't consistent publicly and internally, and that's what's tripping them up again. It's always the cover-up, people. Yeah, it is. It's always the cover-up. It's always the cover-up, whether it's your personal yeah. life. Or politics or investing, it's always the cover up that mm-hmm. gets you. Taylor Markman, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.